Welcome to the Legendarium. They all know uh, this guy's knocking futs. <laughs> <laughs> Family show, the everybody. One. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Legendarium podcast. Today is episode number 190-something. Something. Uh, it's an episode... That's about Knife of Dreams. This is uh, discussion number two on Knife of Dreams. So welcome, welcome everybody. My name is Craig Hanks, and I'm your host. And over there, well, now I finally know what he meant when he kept asking if I wanted to be pillow friends. It's Kyle Lemon. Well, do you? <laughs> and he quit the Ashaman <laughs> because not even a green would bond him. It's Ken Johnson. Yeah, but they did enjoy a little slap and tickle. Okay. And he's hairier than an O-gear and just as likely to annoy the crap out of me. It's Ryan Bruckman. So wait, you were looking for another pillow friend? We've been pillow friends for years. <laughs> this is going to get awkward. He was, he was awkward. looking at my ears. Going to yeah. get awkward. Oh, boy. So, okay. Fine, Welcome. I'll shave the hair off my feet, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but will you stop whistling through your nose? No. Um, Never. Although I did have... So I'm I'm strongly considering i i've applied to host a panel at uh, emerald city comic-con and i was like oh if we if we did this it would probably be like me and ryan and kyle maybe i'm not sure exactly what the setup would be but i was like looking around at hotel rooms and i'm like oh double bed double no need double bed where's the double bedrooms <laughs> <laughs> i had this weird thought yeah perish that thought king so. size bed little spoon <laughs> <laughs> and one red rod to Rangria. <laughs> uh, no, what we need is that. Um, I was gonna... uh, what what Rand sets up in the sky. We need a a bit of uh, sidine. Yeah, to see us through the, the conduit. Night. The conduit. I was going to protest not getting to go, but now I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk. Nothing. Nothing is solidified. They haven't even accepted my application, but. If you would like to see us at Emerald City Comic Con, if you're uh, one of those up in Seattle listening to us, because I know you exist, then uh, go ahead and send a note to Emerald City Comic Con and, and tell them that they really need to accept our application. And I would appreciate that. Anyway, maybe we talk about Knife of Dreams um, after I mention patreon.com slash legendarium and thelegendarium.reddit.com. Okay. That is the best housekeeping we've ever done. Right? <laughs> I love that. It Isn't took 20 minutes to get there this time. Here's the thing. We're literally 22, 22 episodes, 23 if you count that one off, into this series. Nobody is listening to us who hasn't heard me say that, you know, at least 15 times already. So I think they get the message. We really want your support. Now let's talk about Knife of Dreams again. So when last we left there were a lot of things unsaid there were a lot of events that we hadn't gotten around to yet i feel like we kind of just uh we really just beat around the bush for an hour and talked about a few things but there are some important things that uh shut up <laughs> no the, the last time we were the parent getting ready to save Fael. It took us forever to get to the yeah, point, exactly. but in this episode, we're going to get to the point. Okay, let's get to uh, the it's point. It's time to go attack Gildan or what? whatever we did. <laughs> Kyle, the, you listed off a couple of things before we started recording. What was one of those things that you really Death wanted gates, us... Blossoms of Fire. Death Gates and Blossoms of Fire. So... Go. Uh, and Fire Arrows. Ashaman Kill. Ashaman Kill. Ashaman. 
So there's a moment when Rand is at a place. I don't know what that place is because I don't keep track uh, because I can't. It was some Lord's Manor. Yeah, it was at some manor. And then 100,000 Trollocs attack. and Which is like the first time we've seen Trollocs in... Eight books. Forever. Or, yeah, yeah. It's been since... I, I think the last time we saw Trollocs in Force was like book four, probably. Yeah, it's been a while. So That's anyway, because the Dark One didn't have enough like minerals to create them, and he just <laughs> finally got like five <laughs> barracks made and was just creating 100,000 You Trollocs. need more gold. <laughs> you require more Vespine gas. <laughs> Uh, so finally we have Trollocs. So finally we have Trollocs. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this this hybrid war, Wheel of Time Starcraft reference is going to yes. be Remember uh, how we were going to get there quickly? What yeah. would the what would the Trollocs like ready thing be when you know when the dark one finally makes a Trolloc and he comes out of the barracks and it's like <laughs> SCV good to go sir like what's what's the Trollocs one? Go back to Warcraft <laughs> and do the old, the old ogre ones like you know, the ready, ready, Dark Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I like the troll ones the best. Oh, yeah, Sorry, I totally like <laughs> so much for we talking had so about much good, We had such a good housekeeping me? intro. We were on, yeah. And it's it's weird that we're somewhat notorious for tangents. I don't yeah. get it. I, personally, I don't get it. I don't think it happens as much as they think we do. Uh, yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, hundred thousand trollocs. Hundred thousand trollocs show up, and Rand uh, goes power overwhelming. Oh my gosh! <laughs> there is no cow level. There, what there, what there is none of is there. There is no point to, to me <laughs> trying to wrangle you people. Uh, okay, so Rand sees all these people coming, and he's got like a couple of Ashaman so with him. Logan, Logan and a couple others. Yep. And they all seize the power so that they can start murdering Trollocs before the Trollocs start murdering them. And they do not all seize the well, power. Luce Theron seizes the, exactly. seizes the so power. Exactly. So Rand goes for it, and he has wrestled a few times with Luce Theron in the past, and this time Luce Theron wins. I think for the first time. Mm-hmm. This and is the first time he really he has full control, and you're like, are you down with LTT? Yeah, and he is, he is um, weaving gateways and blossoming fire out in the field and basically what he's doing is he's sending the Trollocs to you know somewhere and making them lose their minds in the process and he's also just like cutting them to pieces and, and yeah, so he basically, firing yeah, he them basically to death. makes like five or six horizontal gateways right at the same time and just like throws them out there or whatever well he's, he's opening them he's closing them he's re- yeah. they're just and he's talking about how shadow spawn can't go through gateways that die oh which really? I think is yeah. like the the key element of this scene to take I, is that this yeah. is why the Trollocs aren't just appearing in places, why they've gone through the ways. This in is the why past. they have to use the ways, yeah. Because they've had traveling. The Forsaken it's, have traveling, but now we know why they have not used it I, as a tool like that. I think that. it's a really cool, subtle bit of retconning, retconning yeah. that Jordan did because he's like, oh, now we have traveling, and now I have to basically come up with a reason why Samael or Demondred isn't just like putting all these 100,000 Trollocs. Right in the middle of the Stone of Tear or whatever. So mm-hmm. this is the reason. super cool way to do that and uh, super cool uses of the power. It's cool to see Jordan now start to explore what he can do with the one power. Like we saw some really cool stuff at Dumai's Wells. It's really the uh, when the Ashaman do stuff, they're not limited like the Aes Sedai to their oath rod. So they can just create all these weapons without having to be in danger or whatever so Mm -hmm. it's cool it's a cool moment to see jordan play around with his magic system a little bit more because i think one thing that jordan has done both really well and i wish that he would do a little bit more of 
but he kind of does the Steven Spielberg like monster reveal with his magic system. He's talking about it a lot, but you don't see it full on for a long time. There's a lot of anticipation up until you see Dumai's Wells or you see this this scene here with just crazy like, uses what, of the what power. What can the power what do? What can the power do? And so when you get those big payoff moments, they're that much more epic or they feel that much more epic in a similar way to like you don't show Jaws the shark for the whole movie and you, you're you building up that suspense and then when you do see it it's like oh this is super cool yeah so death gates blossoms with fire which was another cool just you know fire power use. Out of your fingers um, yeah. but it should be really interesting because the next book we jump into Sanderson and he's Mr. Magic System. Exactly. To see what he decides to play around with within this magic system. I really like that scene because of uh, the implications with Rand and his relationship with Luz Theron and how so Luz Theron finally succeeds in seizing the power and now we know what he wants to do with it. Yeah, he wants to kill Trollocs because when you see 100,000 Trollocs running at you, that's your instinct. Kill a bunch of Trollocs. But then my understanding was that Rand kind of sensed that uh, Luz Theron was trying to overdraw on the power. He, he was, was trying to kill himself. Yep. He was trying to do Dragon Mount all over again, exactly. essentially. Yeah. And so so uh, Rand has to kind of talk him down and make a deal with him and say, listen, now's not the time. That's fine, but we're fated to die at Tarmangaiden. So I like, let's get there. And then you can die. And then we'll both die, and it'll be great. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I'll leave a couple shorties behind. And three, three, three. Uh, does Elaine have in triplets? I, I thought know. it was twins. Shorty. Oh, I, thought, I thought you meant shorties. Shorties are the girls. Oh, not not yeah, shorties shot, are the not baby. shot A's. Not. <laughs> wow, <laughs> we are so are hip. Yep. White. Wow. <laughs> I I'm a li- I'm a little white. I mean, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, yeah, I'm all white. Okay. So he's leaving behind a legacy. We'll just leave it at that. But anyway, he basically, he basically leaves his death promissory note with with Luz Theron to get him to come down off the ledge and not burn them out. And yeah, okay. Yep. It does, so we'll see where that goes. But uh, it, it's it's interesting that they made the deal, and so now I'm wondering, will he continue to have to wrestle with Luz Theron? I, I think he does actually one more time in the book. He has to kind of bat Luz Theron aside to seize the power. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, which suggest to me that Luz Theron isn't that interested in their deal, but I don't know. I don't know if well, it's that. Oh, go ahead, Ryan. Well, the other thing is um, I'm, I'm curious as to exactly the extent of Luz Theron's control because, yes, he was able to seize the power and start doing things, but he also in that same scene where they're weaving the death gates and everything, he sits there and he goes, my hands, my hands. Like, he can't he can't physically do anything. He hasn't taken control mm-hmm. over Rand's body or anything, mm-hmm. just over the connection to Sidene. Right. Um, which means could Rand potentially still have a an out in terms of physical a physical way to shut loose Theron off from the source or something you know yeah uh, he eventually because he can't get loose Theron to respond to him he turns to Loghain and says Loghain put out the fires and take care of things which Loghain uh, having Loghain there I think is actually kind of important because he can see these weaves he can see what's going on and that might matter right um, to see what he can do but could Rand potentially find himself in a situation where where the agreement is ignored or whatever and say, you know, turn to someone and be like, punch me, you know, knock me out, do something, you know, <laughs> yeah. whatever, and, and stop loose there in that way because he does not have 
total control over them at that moment. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, and that's, that's part of the problem also is he doesn't want anybody to know he doesn't have control. And by saying that, he's got to tell somebody, he's got to trust someone to know uh, this can happen or else. But they know now. Yeah. Because. Well, because Logan other, says. Semarag. No, Semarag. Semarag at in, the end. In the oh, other oh, that's cool, right. In the other cool Rand scene where he gets his hand all Jamie Lannister, Luke Skywalker off. Um, and they Semarag, capture, yeah, yeah, they capture Semarag, Semarag and I got it right here. She spills all the beans. So he basically says, nope, that's Semarag. And they're all like, wait, what? And Cad Suane freaks out. And she's like, well, how can you be sure? Like, how do you know it that she, that's Semarag? And Cad Suane's like really on edge. And then Semarag comes up and she says, I'll just kind of read it just so that I don't miss this, butcher it, which I'll probably do that in reading it anyways. But said, um, Semarag saved him the effort of thinking up a lie. He's insane, she said coolly, standing there stiff as a statue, Min's knife hilt still sticking out beside his collarbone and or beside her collarbone. So Min's got Semarag all knifed up. And she says, Graindall could explain it better than I. Madness was her specialty. I will try, however. You know you know of people who hear voices in their heads? Sometimes, very rarely, the voices they hear are the voices of past lives. Lanfear claimed he knew things from our own age. Things only Luz Theron Telamon could know. Clearly, he is hearing Luz Theron's voice. It makes no difference that his voice is real, however. In fact, that makes the situation worse. Even Graindall usually failed to achieve reintegration with someone who had heard a real voice. I understand the descent into terminal madness can be abrupt. abrupt. Now, first of all, before we say anything else, I just want you to know, Kyle, that when you are looking down reading out of an actual book, uh, you look very strongly like you have a weird glass eye. I do. Yeah. Actually. It's creepy. I do have a glass eye. No, you don't. No, I don't. <laughs> but you thought for a split second that I, I did. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> uh, okay, so now that that's out of the way. Um, or maybe just a lazy eye. Could be just a lazy I, eye. I have somewhat of a lazy eye. Do you really? On my left eye. Is that the eye that's weird? It's, I have actually extra eyelid. And so when I get really tired, one of them droops. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. It's a thing. Learn something new every day about Kyle. I guess. Try not to be insensitive or anything, but now I've just got this like total nope. fascination We're with like, so, like if we do an, staring if we at do you. an all nighter or like I'm super tired. You'll when we go to Emerald City. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Pillow friends. <laughs> <laughs> we'll learn all sorts of stuff about each we'll other. We'll see Kyle's extra I don't know if eyelid. I actually have extra eyelid, but it, like that's yeah. the way I was explained. It was explained to me like. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah. So uh, you pointed at me while you were reading that because I think I was right at some point. That... Yeah, in in the past episode, you said, "Are the voices that the that the Ashaman or the people that are going crazy are the voices in their head all past lives?" So this says rarely some of them are, but when they are, it's really bad. Yeah. Okay. So, that's why I was pointing to you. Cause... So what what does she mean by reintegration? I didn't get that line at all. Ryan, I know you already know, but can I, I didn't understand it. Best best guess is it has something to do with what the Chosen have been doing through the entire mm. series where Rand kills one of them and they come back as somebody else. Um, mm, I don't think so. It's more along the lines of psychology because she's talking about Graindall right. trying to oh, yeah, trying to re- work with, with... with somebody who's heard voices. And so reintegration would be if you... I mean, think of it as like a split personality 
where Rand is one person and Luz Theron is the other person. That's Reintegration a, would be making they the, are the same. They are the same soul. It's just that they are crazy and they're thinking that it's a separate person. So they're they're forcibly saying no. Rand is one identity. Luz Theron is the other identity. Technically, they're both the same identity. They're the same soul. Uh, okay. So reintegrating them, making as the voices the work together. This yeah. is actually not even work, we're not even working together, but just being, being the one. same. Except one. that they're the same. Yeah. Because that's actually, and I'm treading somewhat dangerous ground in claiming that I know this here. But it, with when dealing with the multiple personality disorder, you work to reintegrate the personalities into when it's it's safe into the core original person or or the identity that will be the predominant so you, one you don't try to chase them out you're not you it's not an exorcism you're trying to bring everything back together and and kind of get one to go it, it's it's not necessarily that we're trying to cut this out we're going to try and put it we're going to try and make it so that you can healthfully bring the aspects of your lives together in uh, that's one way that they treat it yeah um, there's probably someone going, don't you say that, you fool. That's totally <laughs> You wrong. don't even have a degree yeah. in that. <laughs> in, that. <laughs> in that. You do. <laughs> my degree was yeah, my degree was very expensive and the fastest way out of the university. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Okay. So what else do you want to say on that subject, Kyle? No, I just wanted to bring it up that, you know, we were talking about Luz Theron seizing control um, and Rand basically not being able to do anything about it. Um, and Ken brought up the point that he needs to tell somebody that this is a thing that can happen. And so maybe there's a situation where you got to knock him out. Otherwise, Luz Theron's going to dragon mount everybody and kill everybody with him. <laughs> Jimmy. By the way, when you say he's dragon mounting people, <laughs> yes. that puts a very different uh, image know in my it. mind. Pillow friends. Um, but yeah. at this point, you know, Cadswain was there. Nynaeve was there. Min, Min was there. So they all know if they're going to believe Semrog. Right. They all know. Uh, this guy's knucking futs. <laughs> <laughs> Family show, the everybody. One, oh, the, man, the one thing that good that came out of that movie. <laughs> what, what movie was that? Uh, it was um, uh, not Dana Carvey. Uh, what was it? David Spade. Black Sheep? No. no uh, um, who cares? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, so I've got a question. We're good at referencing outside yeah, hey, The one last thing on that, though, okay. but it also gives uh, a, a chance to see the uh, the sighting measuring contest between Loyal uh, between Logan and uh, Rand, and all of the. Are you just going to keep those weaves? To, you meant to keep those weaves to yourself, like Masram Taim, who's hiding weaves from the rest of everybody that he's going to surely spring in the next three books. Uh-huh. You know. Um, also, he. You know, gets a chance to see. Okay, you've got more sighting than I do, and and stuff. But I Rand, see you. I see your I see, sighting. Is that's big exactly as what I thought. <laughs> but uh, Rand, or Rand also comments a couple of times when Logan seizes the power that he's holding almost as much as I could. Yeah. So it's it's trying to show how powerful Logan. Yeah. Is. yeah. It's he's, an establishing moment for he's, he's one B to one A, one A one B. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, that's the rest that's all i got yeah i'm i'm interested to see what happens with logan and with measurement time i don't know if we'll talk about him again so i'll just say i i do hope that number 12 book 12 is like the time book because i need that to i need that boil to be lanced i'm i'm kind of tired of it being around just itching all the time so need that to resolve uh all right now back to that one website reddit uh medic 318 asks in a book absolutely full of strong scenes, which was your favorite? Nynaeve rallying for the Golden Crane, Rand and Semirog, Matt officially becoming a prince, 
lots to choose from uh so or something else i my choice i i really liked Egwene's time in the white tower really really liked that stuff uh it was interesting to me i don't care that you guys are all stupid and don't like Egwene chapters i, I love Egwene. have for a long time yeah. they're good chapters they're valuable chapters just waiting for them to get resolved. <laughs> this is an I, I, I this is her say, this is her parent and fail. Fail. <laughs> no, you said it right. Epic fail. So yes and no. I I think this is this is like her finally it, it, when parent finally gets to rescue Fail, right? So Egwene has been stuck for like four books or something like that just traveling with the Aes Sedai and doing nothing except consolidating her power and i still found those chapters interesting but they don't really go anywhere she kind of spins her wheels for several books and now finally something has happened and she has a chance to uh to do something besides kind of maneuver herself in the fake hall i have problems with the Egwene situation i do too i do my my thing would i wonder be, if they're the same maybe my thing would be okay if so, Elida, so we're supposed to believe if Elida's not going to just straight up kill her. We talked about this last yeah. last episode or two like episodes what, ago. What should what should Elida what should do? Have. If Elida's not going to just straight up kill her, cool, whatever. Stupid bad guy move. You don't kill your nemesis and you monologue until they escape and whatever. yeah. Why is she not stilled? There is no reason that Egwene should not be stilled. If you don't want to kill her, whatever. But there is zero reason she shouldn't be stilled as a prisoner of the White Tower, as a treasonous usurper of the Amerlin seat. The cop-out that Elida says and that Jordan is using is that Elida doesn't want to waste somebody of that potential because she has they've so got, much potential power or she's right. well so and strong and she's gotten all these different like discoveries so much or whatever. to learn from her, right? But I'm the, not buying that. Or, or at the um, very least, why isn't she fork rooted within an inch of her life and left to rot in a cell? Yeah, you know, why is she wandering around the rest of the novices and and well, being okay. because sowing discord? There is a reason for that one. I would much sooner buy she should be stilled, but if you're not going to still her, then the entire point is break her. And if you can take this person who claimed to be the Amarlin seat and uh, make her not only seen by everybody else, but make her understand herself to once again be a novice, then you've broken that person. And so, you know, any any faith that somebody put in her would be shown right. to be misplaced, well, et cetera, et cetera. And you see it with but the Aes Sedai that was put back down to being accepted. Right. Where, you know, they talk about it briefly in those chapters where it's like, well, why didn't they tell Elida, no, that's not a thing that you can do. And the whole idea was that, well, it's not a thing that you, like, it's not, there's no law that says you can't, even though there's no law that says you can. So it's like that loop. Right. But really, basically, it came down to the Aes Sedai that was sentenced to be an accepted, accepted that, that, those terms. Right. And so had she been doing what Egwene is doing and said, no, I'm an Aes Sedai, but Elida has broken that person. And so right. there's that mini version of what's going on with, with Egwene. And so if, if Egwene accepts that she's a novice again, to Craig's point, Elida wins. And yeah, sure, the, the thing, the thing that made me most 
uh, skeptical about the situation wasn't necessarily that she wasn't stilled immediately or whatever. It was that Elida was so hands off. Mm-hmm. She said, yeah. here's what I want you to do. Go do like, no, this is the most important thing happening if in your life. If right you're going to break mm-hmm. someone that is that, Im- that important and is that figurehead of rebellion based on the character that Jordan has presented us with in Elida, Elida is going to be the one to want to break her. Right. And so and that's, I'm with you. I don't think that she hands that off. But I don't think, I don't know, Elida has changed enough that I don't really, her thing, the biggest problem with everything that she's doing here is hubris. I mean, it's mm-hmm. straight up, yes, this is the biggest threat to her, but by acknowledging Egwene as a threat, by doing it herself and everything else there, she's saying... Brings her up to her it, level It or does something. that. It, it validates her a little bit. Yeah. Now, Elida's not thinking like that, honestly. Um entirely but to me the what you enumerated there in, in the sense of you've got to show your new pet to everyone to bring things back and you've got to make Egwene subservient to this you is your show of power you got to break it that's that's why you don't steal her that's why you don't kill her um is it a mistake probably um but that's that's the whole reason why and i didn't have a problem with her doing that because elida is prideful enough at this point to honestly believe that she could do that simply by her own force of will and by just saying, this is how it's going to be, and people will follow, because the Aes Sedai and the Tower have been doing that, and and feeding her, the, uh, feeding that delusion, well, Egwene's not going to buy into that, and that's why this is going to work, and why I buy it as a, as a legitimate thing, because she, they'll look back and say, yeah, we probably should have, we should have stilled her, at least, you know, and... In, in hindsight, yeah, at in least. In hindsight, but that's, that's why it'll work. Okay. Not that stilling is that big of a threat anymore. Right. True. Right. But I don't know that the White Tower. I said I know that they don't. But Elaine right. does. No, they've had, they've does. had rumors. They've heard mm-hmm. that one of the women has claimed to heal stilling, and they're like, "It's not possible. That's mm-hmm. ridiculous." Uh, okay, so what? Uh, that that's my favorite bit in the book. And I mean, that being said, yes, there's a ton of other great stuff that I enjoyed in this book. But I really liked the Egwene chapters. What about you, Ken? What was your favorite part of the book? Honestly, there was so much in this that I liked that that, that the just give me one that the action isn't even my favorite part in the book is is testament to how good this book was. I liked I liked the stuff between Tuan and Matt. Loved it. Yeah, me too. I I, I thought it was going to get tiring by the by the end of the last book. I thought it was going to get tiring, but man, it just they are so engaging together, especially their little playful interactions and, and Tuan how Robert Jordan was able to write her as playful while still writing her as as standoffish is is ridiculous how well he did that and her chapter uh was fantastic she kept calling him toy even in her mind she calling him toy rather than acknowledging her name and i i guess this is several parts in the book but the last chapter where she actually acknowledges his name and acknowledges that she's his wife you know fan is the whole the whole dynamic between those two is fantastic now i i happen to know that we have two people here who hate tuan yeah. Uh, so I'd like to hear from them why. Like, because I really, I agree with Ken. I really like these chapters. I like the interactions. I like Tuan. Um, I, not, not that I would want to be her pillow friend or anything, but like, I like reading her. <laughs> what so. about her toy? <laughs> I'll be your red rod. <laughs> she, the enjoyable parts of Tuan are when she shows personality because she severely lacks it outside of there. Just because the Shan Shan are so very uber hoity-toity proper um some of it i will admit comes from listening to the audiobook 
Uh, oh, and you don't like the accent? The fact that they oh. talk like this the whole time, Toy, drives me absolutely It's an interesting... The wall. Interesting uh, thought about the accent. On the audiobook, it sounds very much like Ryan just, just kind of demonstrated. Yeah. But apparently it's supposed to be like a southern drawl, uh, this like is, a Texan southern drawl. This is why... Which is really intriguing to me. I don't know why, but I just am like. Well, right. what it what it tells me is that word choice matters, and mm -hmm. if you if you hand off your book to a couple of uh, of audiobook performers and ask them to read it, and the word you choose is slur over drawl, well, they're yeah. going to use a slurred speech pattern because uh, you know, they're professionals and because, they're good. <laughs> exactly, and and so they didn't misread it; he mm -hmm. miswrote it. And yeah. he and he stuck with it, so he may have had this thing in his mind, mm -hmm. but no, that, that is not the way he mm -hmm. wrote it. And so that's been kind of a, a bit of a bugaboo for me because I've heard that as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, oh, it's these very I can't listen to the audiobooks because the performers didn't do it in a Texan accent. Well, they weren't supposed to. Yeah, they did so, it as written. It was just yeah, or as directed, it was just directed poorly. I, I will say it's funny though when they hear everybody else talk and say, "Why did they always have to talk so fast?" Because they, because all this Sanchen talks slowly, it's hilarious. So, so I was listening to parts of this because I was trying to catch up, and so I'd get to certain chapters, and I'd be like, "All right, double speed on, oh. on the audiobook," and uh, and Tuan would complain about them fast talking, and it wasn't a problem for most of the book, but they tried to they emphasize they, how they fast sped people up were. Everybody else is speaking during the Sanchen, exactly. and so yeah. you're listening to it on double speed, and uh, I, I could barely make heads from tails <laughs> during those chapters. It was it was a lot of fun. Uh, anyway, okay, Ryan, favorite stuff from the book? Um, it's tough because my inclination is to go Rand's Burned Hand or the Death Gates, but there's actually another scene that has jumped out to me that I think deserves it, and it is when we finally get a valid reason to care about more gays. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And she uses her power, just, just forces it out of her... Yeah. Just to make a handkerchief wave yeah like i legitimately felt that that was one of the greatest successes in this series was to watch couldn't this woman who could do it. i was like yeah you wave that little handkerchief you're probably gonna die but wave that little handkerchief <laughs> i was so proud of that i i enjoyed that moment and then you know the golden crane i cried when that that happened mm -hmm. but uh okay i what, what's with the crying at the golden crane it was a great scene great scene but i don't understand because you've I, said this to me a couple times that's because now you kyle did no too heart. kyle got well, you about it i don't i don't get it i mean i thought it was a well-written scene and i was excited for where it's, it's heading and maybe it'll be cry worthy later but i just didn't get it this it's time. lan finally accepting help and not being a man alone um he's finally agreed that if anybody wants to ride with him to ultimate destruction and doom and Tarman Gaiden, that he would allow that to happen. And it's it's so it's such a huge payoff for Lan and Nynaeve because Nynaeve, you finally see how much Nynaeve cares about Lan. Mm -hmm. And she's basically this Malkiri rallying cry, you know, going out and, and finding all of these borderlanders to to follow Lan. And it's Lan finally accepting him being the king of this lost nation and really accepting his duty. There's this big theme 
with Lan throughout the whole series is that death is lighter, lighter than a feather, duty heavier than a mountain. And Lan has thought that his duty has been to fight the shadow, which it is. But the way he's been going about it has been one man show, you know, whatever he can do, that's what he's doing. And his duty is not only to fight the shadow, but it is to lead this lost nation of borderlanders and to be this king. And so you finally get that climactic scene there. It is. It's it's the Rudy running onto the field. Like that's <laughs> what it is. It's just this great moment of finally, finally we're seeing the payoff of all this. And I love how she tells him, I will take you to the borderlands. And she takes him to World's End, which is like pretty much as far away from Shinar as you can get. Just to buy and, time. And still be in the Borderlands. So that he has to ride all the way across the Borderlands because he's on the complete Western Ocean. And he has, has to ride all the way to the eastern end of the spine of the world, basically. And he's got to cross every Borderland nation. Gathering. And gathering as he goes. Malkiri as he yep. goes because she's going in front of him and rallying the cry. And so it was just super, it was a super cool move by Nynaeve. She's one of my favorite characters and largely because of this. And originally set up, I mean, this is paid off. This is originally a setup from the Great Hunt. The first time that we go into the Borderlands and land, or maybe it's High of the World, and they actually, they start saying, is the Golden Crane flying again? Mm -hmm. Is it time? And so we're like, oh, these people are waiting. They're just waiting. So you know, you know, as soon as he, as soon as that's going to happen, he's... There is a group waiting to rise. And I love the scene. The first scene is really the only scene we get, but when she meets the jeweler who's out there like selling his jewels and whatever, and she goes and she talks to him and she shows him the ring. Mm-hmm. She shows him Land's ring. And at first he was kind of like not really willing to or whatever, but then at, at that moment he sees that. He sees that basically... You know, this is on. The golden crane flies for Tarman Gaiden and the other Malkiri stand up in the in the inn or in the in the common room and they kind of slowly gather with each other. And the that scene was super cool where she pulls out the signet ring and it's like, Okay, it's on, we're here, let's go. Yeah. All right. I, I like I said, I liked it and I I think I'm gonna really enjoy where it goes, but this right now it just made me have a little bit of All right, it didn't mm-hmm. you know. My my excitement was muted, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, let's let's move on. I'm gonna find another Reddit point to talk about, but I know that there were a couple other bullet points. Kyle, you had a couple other scenes you wanted us to get to in this episode, right? Um, uh, do you remember what those were? Yeah, one of my favorites because we didn't really talk about. I mean, the Golden Crane was one of them. Yeah. But one of mine was actually seeing Matt having two on see Matt take command mm, yeah, and the yeah. way that she describes that and how she thought like, Oh, this guy's just this like weird out of place. You know, he seems, seems out of place, like a lion like, in a cage kind of thing. And she says, well, no, this is, he's now a lion on a hill like, on the, like on the pride lands, I guess, or whatever, yeah. you know, and the way that she describes that, but watching him command the band and the way that the band welcomes him back, and the, I mean, and Talmanis has built the band up to be, I mean, 10, 10 times, 20 times as big as it was before. So half of these guys haven't ever even met him. He's just this legend from all the other band members yeah. telling him, you know, and he comes and he starts just commanding immediately. And Tuan is like totally awestruck by him. 
And one of my favorite scenes is when first Matt learns about the crossbow crank and how quickly they can reload. But when you see that in action for the first time and the Sean Chen basically say like, they must have 30,000 crossbowmen because of the amount of volleys they've had and watching that, um, watching the way that Matt basically goes American revolution style, like guerrilla warfare (laughs) kind of stuff. And the way that he uses those tactics and the way that Jordan describes it was super cool for me. And my question was, was going to be, there are several battle scenes and commanders in this, in just this book. You see Perrin leading for the whole rescue thing. You see Matt and what we just described. You see Birgitta doing all of her stuff. So what was your favorite battle sequence and what do you think was the coolest execution, both from a writing standpoint and just from like a general organizing the armies, like which character did it the best way? Like, what did you like the best? If I, if if you asked me to recount exactly what happened, I don't think I could do it, but I remember (laughs) just the feeling of really, really enjoying the parent battle. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it might have had something to do with kind of like how sneaky it was with the the tea in the water supply and then that you're not sure what's going to happen and suddenly there are fireballs coming at you and you're like, oh crap, what's, you know, mm-hmm. it, it failed. Oh no, it didn't really fail. Anyway. Uh, it failed. It, it failed. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I, I really, really enjoyed that one. And it was also, uh, it ended on some very interesting notes so the you could say the same about matt he was a little bit sneaky and it ended on an interesting note with uh tuan uh what did it end with her marrying him or she married yeah, him right so before she the battle him and then she goes yeah. off because the death watch okay. card comes but up. i guess it it ends with him kind of almost befriending the shan chan commanders and all mm-hmm. that stuff so that was interesting but the parent one it ends with the death of aram which you have plenty to think about there. And then also when he bashes in um, Roland. Roland's head and then Fail decides not to tell him anything about this guy that he just killed. Um, so anyway, it, I don't know if we want to talk about that necessarily. I, I don't know if we have much to say, but I did think it was interesting and it was something to think about as I was reading the book. I know so. a redditor brought it up. What uh, what we thought about her decision not to mention anything yeah, about yeah. that, and I I was honestly I was fine with it. I I don't think it was anything she needed to divulge to him. I thought it was one of those things that well, okay, best leave that. What happens where in Shido camp? Pretty much, just it's, leave that where it literally lies. You know, that is a hard hard balance to strike because there is some value in, in in doing things that way. But if you look at Perrin's reaction. She doesn't have to tell me uh, whatever he's they're both automatically kind of assuming the worst happened to each other at some point in time. And that's not really the case. And I feel like she could take some steps to reassure uh, Perrin earlier and, uh, you know, and to and to tell him and be like, look, you know, I'll talk to you about what happened here because you're my husband and I love you and, and you you deserve to know kind of you know to know what was going on so that Perrin can stop getting out of the crazier part of his head where he's sitting here going you know because he's going to be going I'm not going to hold it against her I'm sure that all these terrible things happen but I'm not going to hold it against her well and he smells that like when when he reunites with her and his whole like he can smell emotions and how they're feeling or whatever she's super happy to be back with him 
but then he sm- he smells the shame and the guilt. And so, and part of that, and he I think assumes he assumes the worst, like Ryan's saying. But from Fayil's standpoint, you know, she feels sad and and guilty because Roland was essentially going to rescue her, and Perrin has just killed him, and like, and and ashamed and, because she's not like respecting this guy's memory, maybe something like that. Yeah, and so, she felt things for Roland, like she sure. honored her marriage vows mm. to Perrin, but she felt things for Roland. There was a connection there yeah. because they started like as their relationship progressed. It's a very honestly it was one of the more organic relationships I've read in this series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ain't that the truth? Good. Gordon. I <laughs> I am I, I was so rooting for those two kids to get together. Uh I, I was very disappointed when he got his head bashed in. So I and on the other side of that, I'm still somehow I am rooting for Perrin to get together with Barelane. Uh, because I like her so much more than I like Fael, but then I guess there there were some people uh, on Reddit who were predicting that Berylane would get together with Galad because they're both the prettiest people in Randland. It's the best. It's the best fit. It's the if power you, if you want to look at it like the power, like in that setup, the most beautiful pairing. Like only you're the only person worthy of me is. Someone as beautiful as me, like right. that's that's your power couple there, right? And their kids are are so good looking that when she gives birth, the world explodes. That's that's how this world will get a Morgan Freeman. There Speaking of Galad, though, <laughs> we didn't. I mean, in your intro, you talked about how he as the Lord, last yeah, episode or this one of the last, last episode. episode. Oh, okay, of the last episode, you talked about how um, Galad takes over the takes out of him and Valda and becomes yeah. Lord Captain Commander. Let's talk about that for a minute. On, uh, a uh, yeah. on a false premise. Oh, yeah. Not on a false premise, on misinformation. Yeah, misinformation. It's kind of like so, saying yeah, okay. that uh, that I said I can't lie. They can't knowingly tell a mistruth, but they can unknowingly tell. Right. right. But for like for so, us, we can distinguish that that gray area and understand Galad's character doesn't distinguish that way. It's right or it's wrong. To him, she's been she was right. dishonored and she was killed. And so by dishonored, you mean raped, right? Yes. That's what he thinks. Yes. Yeah. That she got raped. Did she? Well, she did. Yeah. Did she, yes. I, I can't yeah, she did. Yeah. Okay. She did. Um, but we know that's not the case. So if that comes to light to Galad, how is what's that going to do? He's going to have to deal with that because that is he's now either now he's he's Lord Commander on under false pretenses. He's killed. Well, a man. That, but yeah, not he's even that he's Lord Commander. He's killed somebody. And his reason for killing that person was because you killed my mom. Yeah. So the right thing to do is to kill this person. Right. Yeah. Like like Ryan was saying, he's very black and white. Yes or no. And so now that that's not a thing. So if he finds out that Morghese is alive, how does he cope with the fact that he made a wrong decision when he's always made the right decision? It's will will he circuit. finally? Will he finally have to uh, find a gray area in his life? Yeah. Or do we find him? broken getting breaking or getting out of the children of light or something just he makes the right decision by trying to right his wrong and leaves and goes to do something else find him Mm -hmm. swallowing the business end of a knife Uh, that would be the wrong thing to do that would be the wrong thing that would not be very good uh okay uh, but maybe it breaks him to the point i'm just it also makes the the that that little thing though of him taking over the children of light does put them in a more useful position because was... Galad is now, I mean, we now have a connection to Camelon, uh, with through Elaine and everything. He now has a chance to legitimately make the Children of Light a bigger deal 
through his connections and probably and, what they were supposed to be and, when they yeah. were founded yeah. when now he's going the, to make the right decision right instead of yeah. the corrupted whatever serves the children we now have for the first time you know probably since book two we have a, a decent person in charge of the white cloaks mm-hmm. yeah. uh okay so i there is one more thing i want to do we've, we've got about 15 minutes left on this episode uh, what I want to do is talk about this book in general and not just scenes and characters within it, but this book in general and, and how it fits into the series. Uh, before I do that, are there any other specific scenes or characters that you want to get to? Uh, because I I think this could take up the rest of our time. Moraine is alive and I called it six books ago. Oh, yeah. We all called it. Yeah. Yeah. There's when when Gandalf falls down the chasm. Yeah. He's coming back. Right. Yeah, Matt, just, Matt reads the letter. We talked a little we bit touched, about yeah, that. Very briefly. Pretty interesting so what, Why does Tom get that letter? <laughs> it, my dearest Tom. My because, dearest yeah, Tom. My dearest Tom. They're, they're know, pillow friends. There was things. Because she saw in the archways when she went and asked her questions. Um, who you know, this, who had to be there. Yeah, who had to be there. Tom was one. Matt was one. And the and third. one other. And, she did not and know. And Noel has requested to be the third. Right. Um. But yeah, it's it's super cool because like my assumption would be that she saw. Uh, sorry, Kyle, oh go ahead. She saw all these possibilities and all these paths that she could take, an infinite number. And so she saw, oh, if I give the letter to Matt, he's gonna lose it or gamble it or well, you know whatever. <laughs> uh, it, it, that the Smoke only it. that the responsible person was Tom, and her her time through the arch told her that that's mm-hmm. where the letter was supposed to go. Yeah, and the only the only outcome that resulted in her being rescued and them not dying was if things went a very particular way and even giving it to Tom, even having Tom wait until Matt asks about it to read it. Cause that was the big thing. Like mm-hmm. don't show him the letter until he asks about it. Don't bring this or that, or, you know what I mean? So like has to be one, or has to be you two and one other anyways, very particular. Yeah. And, uh, even still, there's not a like definite chance of success. There's no uh, Elaine men's viewing power overwhelming, you know, <laughs> plot armor there. I, so, so she knows that it has to go to Tom and then to Matt and then you know, has to follow that sequence. I am very, very excited to get Maureen back. Hopefully in the next book. Uh, I just miss her so much. I hope, <laughs> I hope Sanderson can write her uh, as well as Jordan did. I really like, uh, Moraine and screw everybody who says that she was dumb and manipulative and all that, whatever. I love her. I love the way that Jordan has set this up because of the whole elfin, ilfin, snakes and foxes people and uh, the, the idea that they, the, game, yeah, yeah. the game that you cannot win and that you'll notice if, you, if you're if you paying attention after, they, after he reads the letter there's a lot more mention of Olver and Noel playing snakes and foxes. Right. And uh, it's really interesting to, to to watch that scene unfold and that like Olver has to give them some of those like real details that they need. Right. So he's like, oh no, this is what it is in the game of snakes and foxes. And they're like, oh, don't bring bronze and don't do, you know, you can, can't have music or whatever it is. And like, um, it was just really cool the way that Jordan set that up that like, because I, I had been wondering that for a long time. Like why... Is Olver even a thing? Why is he even here? Like we've got this orphan kid that's been following Matt around with the band for the last four four books or whatever. And like he was there Why? to, to, you know to I mean? help 
and Matt feel more responsible. <laughs> I love when, and I love it when, like tertiary characters interact with him for the first time. It's like when the Sean Chen Death Guard walks in, <laughs> and he's just like the ugliest boy he'd ever <laughs> right. seen. And it's just like I love the description of him. But, but yeah, it was it was kind of a cool little payoff for Ulver. Like, oh, he's here for a reason instead of like yeah. just this random adopted kid that Matt has half the time. And now the reason's done, and he can just go away. So. Not until Matt finishes his run through the whatever he's doing. Yeah. We have we have a lot to look forward to. Um, I have a lot of Mordain to look forward to. Uh, you hope. I do. I do hope. That's true. They could find her, like, dead, I well, suppose. It wouldn't make a whole lot of sense yeah. to find her dead, but it, <laughs> it could be something as simple as they find her, they bring her out, and... And she's worthless. She's she, stilled. She's <laughs> Yeah, she's stilled, or she's... She provides one critical piece of information. By the way, we figured out the eleventh medal to kill the dark the, lord. The lord ruler. <laughs> so that, I guess that is the question. What purpose? What purpose do you anticipate Moraine having if she is rescued? I've got it. She comes back, exposes Cad Swain as a dark friend, and resumes her place as Rand's primary advisor, bringing him back to uh, a sort of emotional health that he has lacked back for a long humanity. time. Yep, that would be pretty sweet. So. Based on that, I'm just going to guess I'm totally right, 100%. All my predictions are perfect. So, uh, totally. <clears throat> stick a fork in it. Hmm. So, shall we talk about Book 11 then? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, we've been through we've been through quite the slump. And I, it, I made no secret of it on previous casts. It was painful for me. It was painful for me the first time. Uh, it was painful for me this time, and uh, and then we kind of got to the very very tail end of ten, and I was like, wow, this is it's kind of interesting, and eleven really picked things back up. Why? Wait, there was still there were still things in this book like with freaking Loyal's wedding, like who gives a single bad word about that? Nobody. Uh, so there were I care. there were things in this book where it's like okay this is it's dragging again let's go but for the most part it didn't feel the same way that the last few books did why not I think because he's I think he knew he was getting to the end I mean he was only supposed to write twelve books so he knew okay we got to start wrapping things up I mean and I think he really starts putting the pieces into place you know where he he could have written. A twelfth book and had it had it wrapped up. I mean, he he's got loyal moving over to to rally the Ogier. He's got Avienda off rallying the rest of the Aiel. He's got people in place. I can't remember everybody. Everybody's splitting up now, even more than they've already been split up, so that they can start putting everybody together for Tarman Gaiden. Because as they keep saying, Tarman Gaiden is is coming. Yeah, it's right here. It's now. It's here. So. He's he's moving all the chess pieces to where they need to be to make that happen. Yeah, everyone's finished. They're going out and questing for the crystal sword of plus two power and stuff like that. So. <laughs> time to get to the final boss. Yeah, it's they've, to... they've mined all their Vespin gas. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um. Here's, I I have a pretty simple possible explanation, and it could be off. Uh, I I could be way off base here, but writer's block. I, he for the first uh, five ish books in the series five six seven books it was like every year sometimes twice a year you're getting a wheel of time book he he expended all this 
mental energy to write the first several books in the series and uh and he had all this like really well mapped out and then he gets to those <clears throat> those middle books like seven through ten um and and he didn't know where he was going and he, for one reason or another his creative juices just weren't flowing the same way as when he started the series and then i think again for some reason when we get to book 11 it was like that spigot got turned back on and he was simply more creative than he had been in previous books i could be wrong it's maybe oversimplifying Honestly, but... i think there's a real life uh reason for this and not to give like some kind of cop out or whatever but yeah i i don't know if it was this thread or another thread that i was reading that after book six um somebody had told jordan that he looked terrible essentially he was started to get sick like oh, real yeah. life real life issues <clears throat> he was writing too much he was you know basically putting too much energy into it like you were saying with the like create creative energy i mean he's he's coming out with these books really quickly there's so much going on and so he took a noted step back um and stopped focusing as hardcore on the series and the book started to kind of come out a little bit more um, or less frequently. Yeah. They're shorter. They're notably, notably shorter, 100,000, 150,000 words shorter. Um, so he wasn't 100% in on it, I believe. Um, the way he was. The way before. that he was before. Yeah. And I do think that there's something to be said for messing with your process because he was basically writing himself to death. Um, from the from the Reddit quote that I read or the thread yeah. that I was reading, like Mozart. Yeah, so like he was so immersed in it that that's what it that was consuming his life, and so he kind of took a step back. But I do think from a creative standpoint, when you change your process, even if your process is detrimental to your physical health, when you change your process, it changes the way you approach your story. It changes mm. the things that you're going to write about. We've talked about it on past podcasts about. Oh, all of a sudden he wanted to explore this political, you know, drama with Elaine or whatever. Um, but I think that getting through some of that, and I think that when he actually got a little bit worse and even more sick, I think that it kind of refocused him. Yeah. And there was a more of a more of a sense of urgency to tie off some of these plot lines, to bring it all back together for Tom and Gaiden. And so I think that you do see the the realization of that in knife of dreams now i could just be completely 100 percent off here i'm solely basing this off of some random a, a reddit comment reddit comment or whatever other thread i was reading and i was like oh that actually makes sense and so i don't know if that's accurate but it does make a lot of sense in my mind especially looking at his life and illness and all of that yeah, stuff so yeah. and also not to say i mean if we're gonna just you know put a critique on it from a straight up literary standpoint and not bring in real life issues. Yeah. Like you said, there's a noticeable slump. There's a lot of things that you could say go wrong, but maybe just go off on tangents that go nowhere. Yeah. They go nowhere. Um, however, so far. Yeah. I w I was going to say, however, keep the, keep a pin in a lot of those things because a lot of the things that feel like why that why are we even reading this? What is this all about? Yeah, 
When a lot of them get tied off. I'd so. have to go back and look up half of them. I, and this would be Ooh. this would be something I'd be interested to talk to uh, Sanderson about. Was were all these things that you guys are saying? You know, put it put a pin in it. It turns out they matter. Did they really matter, or was was Brandon Sanderson doing Jordan a favor and kind of retconning a few mm-hmm. of the uh, the seemingly worthless sure. bits from the middle I think, books? I, I would say to answer that, go back and read his. Uh, post on tour about taking over the series and why it has to be three books. Yeah, mm-hmm. because he he enumerates out there that when he got the notes and everything and the the outline for the series mm-hmm. and went over it, um, I actually my theory if we're just going to throw theories out there as to why we're doing this uh, is that Jordan bit off more than he could chew in his outline process. He set all these things up and kind of realized he had expanded his tree too much, mm-hmm. and so now he had to dedicate two books, three books or whatever, to bringing it back to where it needed to be. To I mean, we're talking about setting up the big chess pieces, which is true, but there could also be a little bit of, ah, crap, I wrote, I said, I, I, I got to have this happen, but that means I need to make this and this and this happen. So there's a little bit of trying to bring yeah. the order back to the storm that you've created in the middle. Um, yeah. And the reason why, the only reason why I don't think it's writer's block is because for um, Sanderson to get the notes and outline and everything ahead of time because he had already said there were chapters and things that were already written for the final battle and everything like he he knew where he was going with that and you know i get that there might have been some blockage in terms of getting to that point but i would be more inclined to think it was just a matter of oh crap i gotta i gotta i I spent too much time indulging the idea of going out and learning this and this and this so now i gotta bring it all back together and it's Mm -hmm. without making that feel cheap and and doing something really lazy, like, and everybody opened a gateway and came to the main place. Mm-hmm. Right. And to that point, <laughs> I don't know if it was in that interview or if it was something I was watching on YouTube with Sanderson about taking it over and, and actually getting the notes. The notes, he said that there were more notes than the actual series has. Wor- so there's over three million words in notes that Jordan left him. Nice. So there's that much that Sanderson has to rein in and and handle which will um, be the next series that we do the notes so the, the notes so he definitely knew where it was going um yeah. but I, I do think that you know what ryan to ryan's point it probably got away from a little bit and or a lot of it yeah um well and, so my maybe we can go to final thoughts because we're coming up on the end of our hour here but uh but it would be a, a nice kind of final thought for me which is uh, as i'm looking forward to the next three books and having read the last 11 books, Brandon Sanderson's job at this point seems like the best opportunity in the world and my worst nightmare. And probably the worst nightmare of anybody who, you know, who would have this handed off to them. You, you know, like you said, three million words of notes and how many millions of fans who are counting on you to do this and not screw it up. I, like, I am in a... I I don't even feel the same sort of attachment to this uh, that I know Kyle does. Like, mm-hmm. yes, I'm enjoying myself. I, I'm really liking this series, but it's not. It's maybe not the same for sure. me as it is for you. But even I am feeling absolutely terrified of re- reading the Brandon <laughs> Sanderson books, even though I know that he's like, as far as I'm concerned, among the top living novelists out sure. there. Oh, absolutely. But you know, yeah, what if he? What if? What if he screws it up or what if he not not even screws up the overall story, but what if he screws up Rand or what if he screws right. up Perrin 
or you know what i mean there are so many characters that we have that become, we know that we, we know, know so we've well. grown with we've yeah. become attached to and that are very particular and so that's such a tall task and what if he what if he screws up matt you know and that's one of somebody's favorite don't characters. darren you take or, that back right now yeah well i in a Sanderson interview, he said that the hardest character for him to write was Matt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He could not, he has a hard time getting into the mindset of Matt. And his easiest was Perrin. Like, mm-hmm. that's the, you read that and you go, well, Matt is my favorite character. Yes. So, or, you know, he's, you know, top two. So that's nerve wracking. That's nerve wracking to be like, uh, I know you're a great author, but if you had a hard time with that, please, please don't ruin, you know, what I've already invested. A hundred thousand, fifty, you know, five hundred thousand words into Matt. Please don't, <laughs> please don't make that worth nothing. Right. Okay. Well, a- any other final for, thoughts? For me, it comes down to the fact that I trust, I trust Brandon Sanderson through his other works. I don't. I'm confident that he does not screw this up. Can you imagine being a Wheel of Time fan 10, 15 years ago, though, that's or whenever the, it was? Yeah. Because that's that's the thing. Is I have so hindsight. Two thousand nine. Yeah. So whenever it was, people didn't know Sanderson uh-huh. like they do now. Yep. And but so I, this that's why be... I say I'm talking from from hindsight, yeah. and you know I trust you him. Usually are now, but well, it's because I'm always because <laughs> I'm always late to the just, party. Just giving you crap. That's all right. I'll let that one go. Okay. <laughs> uh, Kyle, final thoughts. Um. Or, so, did you already give? No, I mean. We were kind of talking about Knife of Dreams in a general sense, mm-hmm. and we kind of veered off into Sanderson versus Jordan, which will be our retrospective, or more of just Jordan I, yeah, and not I'd Sanderson. Yeah, I'd like to talk about Jordan more as much Jordan, as possible. More Jordan, not Sanderson. Um, super excited for the next three books, but as far as this book, final thoughts, this is some of Jordan's best work yeah. um, in this book. If you If you look at all the other 11 books... There's a lot of really, really good writing going on, but there's some scenes in this book, some character development in this book that is just second to none, um, in my opinion. So there's a lot of really good stuff in this book. It's kind of the culmination of his his work. Yeah, no, I I, uh, 100% agree with that. Ryan, any uh, parting words? totally pointless but i think it the title of the book is probably the least fitting of all of the series <laughs> maybe yeah most of them there's some sort of connection to something that occurs in the book but i have no idea what knife of dreams is with this story <laughs> maybe Egwene. I, I i don't know because yeah, there wasn't a lot of Egwene uh dream world stuff or even parent dream world stuff so that's that's the thing know. is like we've seen the dream world a couple of times and i'm like oh yeah that huge concept that you introduced six books ago and then just kind of that just left kind behind. of language behind yeah anyway uh yeah okay we'll we'll leave it there and call this one so thank you everybody for listening now to 23 episodes of the wheel of time and uh, and we'll have one more before we dive into the sanderson episodes uh, how many did we do for lord of the rings when we first started 17 so we well we're well, well past and that. we did a couple of like of little mini episodes between, so it might have been like eighteen or nineteen. But yeah, this is this is now our longest series. We've done. This is intense. Uh, I'll have would it be, to, I'll have to check how many totality of done. the Cosmere. So how many Cosmere? Not just oh that's yeah I wouldn't break it into yeah like Cosmere we've probably done more because we dedicated a, we dedicated a year to Sanderson. Ryan Ryan you you see us out on this one. You do all the do do all the stuff. And oh, I'm gonna that? look it up. 
All right, everybody. So uh, make sure to check us out uh, and, and help out on patreon.com and then uh, join our conversation at Reddit. You can do that at thelegendarium.reddit.com. Uh, there's another way to do it, but I don't remember the short or the long version of that. But come talk with us. We'll uh, make sure that as we go to record more episodes to put questions and things like that out for you to help us do our jobs because we sure <laughs> we don't always do them. So is that... Uh, we have a special event coming up next, uh, no, I think we already had we, it. We had it. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a little peek behind the curtain for you. <laughs> you can always cut that. Um, yeah. And help us get to Emerald City Comic Con. Apparently that's the thing we're doing and let well, us know what you want done with video. It's a, it's a thing we're thinking about doing or, or that we've applied to do. So, uh, if we actually get in, we'll let you know. Um, but I actually, uh, the the um, application that I put in was to host a Robert Jordan themed panel. Uh, So we'll see how it goes, but all right. So uh, for Brandon Sanderson, we did six storm lights. We did, uh, we did nine um, mistborns, Mm -hmm. 10 mistborns. We did. So wait, what what are we up to? 16. 16. So three Elantris, that's 19. 20 that's a warbreaker a white sand that's 21 so we've done 21 cosmere episodes 24 sanderson episodes overall if you count the record plus we've done several so, arcanum on bounds six of the desk i don't know why this is important i'm just curious but it's not uh so yeah we'll do sixth of the desk for a, a live episode if you haven't heard it already go back and check we sh- i'm hoping we can post the feed or whatever it is from yeah. that so you guys can see that go and check out the the piece that we will have done (laughs) exactly (laughs) all right thanks everybody for listening we will see you next time